Welcome to Media Path. I'm Louise Palenker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. Pour yourself a festive holiday beverage, sit back, and relax as we guide you through a decorative selection of non-specifically seasonal offerings with shelf lives that extend far beyond the holidays. And why? Because we are not accurately prepared for a very special holiday episode of Media Path, and we are tragically behind on our Hallmark Christmas movies and our John Legend Christmas special viewing. Additionally, there is nothing overtly Christmassy about this week's guests, Sean Pulaski and Vicki Barbalak, although when properly inebriated on boxed wine, they will carol. However, if you are watching us on YouTube, our studio has been decorated by our intern, Garrett Arch. He's 15, and he only recently began smelling the schnapps on Santa's breath, so he's basically still steeped in sufficient seasonal spirit. Garrett, may I also add, got us up and running today. We were tech-free. We, in other words, we were free from any kind of tech expertise. Garrett walked in the door and said, I will save you, and he has got us up and running. Round of applause for Garrett Arch. For being the man. Our tech superman. Uh, Fritz, have you been watching any Christmas seasonal offerings uh, this this Christmas? This is not a Christmas seasonal offering, but right. th- this is uh, really, I find it very interesting. Not a new film either. It came out in 2008. It started as an offering on Independent Lens on PBS, which is a great source for documentaries. Now it's streaming on Netflix. It's called The Order of Myths, and it's about Mardi Gras in Mobile, Alabama. Interesting fact about Mardi Gras. There was a Mardi Gras in Mobile, Alabama, long before New Orleans was even a city. The Mobile Mardi Gras has been around for 300 years. And the movie is about how racially divided Mardi Gras is and Mobile is even today. And the deep racist history of that city. All the festivities, the parades, the costumes, the ancient mythical societies of Mardi Gras that make up the parade are still racially divided. Now, there's a white king and queen of Mardi Gras and there's a separate black king and queen of Mardi Gras, celebrating in separate ceremonies. This film looks like a complex history of race relations in Mobile and its connection to slavery. And here's where it gets interesting. The queen of the white ceremony in this film was Helen Mayer, a senior in high school, who is a descendant of the outlaw slave trafficker who owned the last slave ship to enter U.S. waters, a ship called the Cotilda. This happened 50 years after slave trade was outlawed, and the black Mardi Gras queen, Stephanie Lucas, her black counterpart in the other separate parade, is a descendant of one of the slaves transported on the Cotilda. At the end of this film, there's sort of a forced moment where the black king and queen pay a visit to the white king and queen at the evening of their coronation. It just seems like more of a forced photo op, forced smiles, stiff recognitions. And if you've ever been bewildered by how embedded racism is in America, this film is really eye-opening. White, old-moneyed men who were and are the city fathers, all self-satisfied in their historic all-white traditions, while across town, the traditions of the black Mardi Gras, where the participants can often hardly afford their costumes. Coincidentally, there's another documentary on Netflix now, which expands on the same topic. It's called Descendants, which hits more of the individual histories of the Cotilda slaves, where they settled in Mobile and where experts think the ship was finally scuttled and sank to avoid prosecution by the authorities. I know it sounds like it's in the weeds, but if you wonder where all of this bubbling racism comes from in the United States, 
it's all very much alive down in that part of the United States right now. Right, because they have never been accountable. And there's a person in the film that makes the comment of that you don't have an Adolf Hitler junior high in, in Germany. And yet we had all these Confederate statues. And I, I think the reason for that, just in terms of human nature, is that like the South was like centuries steeped in their culture of owning people. And, you know, Hitler's Germany was maybe five to seven years and so that Germany has reconciled and to the best of their ability to where they, they've taught this is what can go wrong and this is how to protect against it. The South is still kind of trying to believe that everything they did was perfectly fine and we were really nice to our slaves and they just haven't been accountable. So they continue to damage black people decade after decade after decade by redlining them, moving them to places that are not safe. There's no safe air. There's no safe drinking water. And it's just... It's just heartbreaking. Well, and the white guys, it's their identity. And you see it in the United States, like South Pasadena and San Marino, and people are, are their identity is their bloodline, and, and they're not willing to give it up. And it's really, really fascinating that we're not talking about the late 19th century, and it's going on right now in the United States. It's a fascinating film, and I would recommend that you watch it with your kids because it's a great lesson. You won't have to explain as much about why we, we, you know, we have the whole uh, vitriol about the other in this country because this thing explains it great. Well, I, really I, I just think until you're willing to take a hard, long look at the horror that we have committed as a nation— then you're not going to be able to heal from it. And we haven't been willing to do that. And now when you have people that are afraid of CRT, and whatever that means, whatever the definition of that is, whether it's a college class or a law school class or whatever, it just means they're not willing to even look at racism or the history of slavery mm-hmm. and because they become so enraged at the concept of having to look at something and say, that was wrong. How can we fix it? How can we do better? And it's just infuriating. But I, both of these films, definitely watch them over the holidays. They're very important. Um, Fritz, I've been doing some reading. So As you I, always do. Yes, I did. I read a book called Mercury Pictures Presents by Anthony Mara. It is a New York Times bestseller. It is the epic tale of enemy alien immigrants on the home... Are you okay? No, when you said enemy alien immigrants, it scared the crap out of me. Oh, yeah. Well, this happened in, in the 30s, so I think oh. you're, you're going to be okay, okay, at least throughout, throughout the extent of the show, you'll be fine. It is a New York Times bestseller. It is the epic tale of enemy alien immigrants on the home front during World War II, told through the spokes that feed into the hub of the fictional Mercury Pictures film studio. Maria Lagana's Italian childhood is fractured by the ascension of Mussolini when a fateful decision leads to the arrest of her father and the forced flight of herself and her mother to America. Maria runs from the reality of her guilt towards a career in Hollywood make-believe, but her film studio life is heading towards a collision course with history. As World War II ignites the globe, Mercury Pictures becomes a haven for war-torn immigrants, writers, poets, performers, once celebrated architects applying their gifts to creating scale model miniatures and refugee actors portraying the very villains they have fled. As the war progresses, Maria carefully navigates a maze of hypocritical politics, divided loyalties, and conflicting ambitions. And then the arrival of a vaguely familiar stranger from her father's past threatens Maria's carefully constructed Hollywood facade. She must at last confront her father's fate and ultimately her own. Anthony Morrow's writing is sharp, funny, lyrical, poignant, and heartbreaking, and I am highly recommending his newest novel, Mercury Pictures Presents. But I have two picks this week, Fritz. Help yourself. Right. Pelosi in the House. Am I right, everybody? Oh, it's a killer. Alexandra Pelosi is an acclaimed documentarian. Her films are investigative and funny and normally infused with a refreshing dose of her unique voice and personality. 
In her 14th film, Pelosi in the House, Alexandra downshifted a pace behind while moving fast enough to tail her quick-stepping mom, Nancy Pelosi. That's quite a dance, but it's exactly what was required to document the force of nature that is Speaker Pelosi. Alexandra has been following and filming her mother for decades, and so the arc of this film is artfully created by selecting what to remove and what to include. Along with Alexandra and her camera, we get to experience Pelosi's election to Congress in 1987, her journey to become the first female Speaker of the House in 2007, her efforts to pass the Affordable Care Act and the COVID-19 relief package, her leadership during the Trump impeachments, and the consequential political milestones that led to her masterful handling of the January 6th insurrection. Alexandra's access allows us to understand exactly how many household chores Nancy can accomplish while listening to a Mike Pence panel discussion with her iPhone on mute. While she sometimes appears to be too busy to focus on her kids or her grandkids, what you see through the film is that her love language is the inclusion of them. The kids are welcome. The grandkids are by her side. She may be occupied, but they learn by watching her and knowing that she values their presence, just as she learned by the side of her father, Baltimore mayor and U.S. Congressman Thomas D'Alessandro. Watch this film for the laundry tips alone. Don't put your throw rug in the dryer. You can simply air it out while Mike Pence is talking. Let us introduce Sean Polofsky and Vicki Barblack. Who's ready for some guests? Yay! Well, first we'll start with Sean Polofsky because Vicki is on and off her Zoom call, depending on where her toe accidentally touches the screen. Sean Polofsky began her life as Oklahoma's Jewish population. A born performer, she moved to Hollywood to pursue a career in comedy. Her television and film credits include her new hit one-hour comedy special, Stretch It Out, on Amazon, Community, This Is Meg, TRI, Lip Service, Chelsea Lately, Weather Gone Viral, The Gossip Queens, Pretty Hurts, Comics Unleashed, Minding the Store, Last Comic Standing, and Free Enterprise starring William Shatner. Sean, I know you'll make a call to have this to have this podcast added to your credit list, but before I introduce Vicky, if and when she appears, you simply must explain your appearance on Weather Gone Viral. Did you encounter weather that dented your hairdo? <laughs> That's a good question, Louise, and I, I want to thank you both for having me on Media Path again. I had such a fun time the last time I did it. Vicki Barbalak, I think, um, is just having some more technical challenges and she has to probably leave soon because she has a show tonight. So I don't know if she's gonna make it, but I'm gonna answer that Weather Gone Viral uh, was a was a very it's a hit show on the Weather Channel because so many people are tuning into the Weather Channel to see comedy. And uh, <laughs> That's uh, I am just a talking head on weather gone viral. So, no, I was not in the weather myself. I was just a talking point on funny weather videos. Ah. So to answer your question, no, I did not get my her messed up. <laughs> we don't do that. I'm a Leo. You know that. Uh, I know. I know. You're always really prepared. If you've ever had uh, Sean as a house guest. Or if you plan to, your home will smell like hairspray for about a month and a half. Exactly. So don't do that and cook fish because it's not going to be, there's going to be a weather hey, system. Hey, I, I want to talk handle. about your new podcast yeah. with Vicki, Trailer Park Diaries. First of all, the name is outstanding. And you Why, have this you great, you have this great announcer guy who does the lead into your show. Who is that guy? He is the best Southern you know, like Southern car dealer delivery. I love that guy. 
Uh, that guy actually is a John Reap, comedian extraordinaire. I mean, there is no one more Southern and funnier than John Reap. And he was actually one of the winners of Last Comic Standing. I don't know if it was like season three or two. Uh, don't don't quote me on the year, but he's just been a good friend of Vicky's and mine from the comedy store because we all started together there. And uh, we were lucky enough to get him as the voiceover because he's the real Southern deal. I mean, we all know that Vicky actually really does live in a trailer park. Mm -hmm. So that is authentic. And John is authentic. Let's hear from Vicky for a moment because I know we may lose her. And maybe Vicky could give us some background on Trailer Park Diaries and its inception and how you created it. Well, you know, we just we wanted to do something in the trailer park, you know, because I don't want to go anywhere. Sure. And and then Al had that idea for the idea to be a, a diary, some truth stories. And so we could just uh, take those kind of manipulate them and then talk around them. And that would that would be how it would be. So the premise and, uh, of the show is that you find a whole box or a locker or maybe a trailer uh, full of diaries. Yes, go ahead and explain. Because, and I'm in, in this world of trailer park diaries i'm we are in my trailer park but i'm pretending that i'm the manager of the trailer park which is really pissing off the real managers <laughs> of my trailer park. i can right? imagine yeah and and, and then sh we pretend that shanika has lost everything due to a bad divorce she's pending the resettlement of the money which i truly believe will come mm -hmm. <laughs> she's had to move into the trailer park it's almost Wait. like you know it's just it's the worst possible thing that could ever happen to her that but is the worst making the best possible case scenario for me she is correct i'm she's almost, making the yeah. best of it i'm crying when picturing it i put i, I put a, i put a little nordstrom sign up on the <laughs> right next to the name of our trailer park just to you know i love it because it's it's real theater of the mind which is my kind of radio it reminds me of prairie home companion with garrison yeah. keeler you're both great storytellers. You guys have Paradise Trailer Park, and he had Lake Wobegon. You're like an updated right. version of that, but it's great. You guys are funny, and it's a great story, and you get drawn in immediately. It's very yeah. enjoyable. That's so nice, Fritz. You're the best. You know, I begged you to be on this show when I was working with you at the Improv. You I'll guys, be any time. I don't want to know what I did for Fritz to get on the show, but I'm not. I'm not proud of <laughs> it. I definitely. I rubbed it. His feet. I had to wash his laundry for two months. Mm -hmm. and no, I had to follow you at the Irvine Improv, and I will never do that again. First oh, of all, no, you, that was, you blew no. the roof off the dump because you no, have so was, many fans from America's Got Talent. It was a fun night, but you uh, killed it, so you have nothing to worry about. But buddy. I want to talk to you. Excuse me for yeah, a minute, no, because you she's leaving in 10 minutes because oh, she has paying work like none of the rest of us have. Yeah. But but let me just ask you this. You, you not only killed on America's Got Talent, you became the host of their Vegas show, AGT Live. Talk about that experience and what, what that is. After the comics perform on there, they don't have to be winners. It's just people who are selected to go and do that show in Las Vegas. Right. So it's mostly like, uh, you know, like the great acts of the show. And then there's a host and it was Preacher Lawson, the real he's the permanent host. And then he like did it. And then he goes, OK, I'm done. So then I was like I was called in and I'm like the pinch hitter host. And I it was, I was terrible at first. So bad. I would, I'd be like and the next act is and then I'm like, you know. I, I can't remember. Like I, I'm like thousands. Of so it took me a couple of months. I can't believe they didn't fire me, but I have had a ball doing it. And I love whenever they call me and I love to jump back. And now I have my residency back at Jimmy Kimmel Comedy Club, which will end tonight because 
the reason I have to leave early is I have to do comedy for the Caesars executives Christmas party at <laughs> 4.30. Oh, oh, so this a... will be my last time at ever working for <laughs> the Caesars so property. Where, where is the Jimmy land. Kimmel Club? Is that in Caesars Palace? It's, it's at the beautiful promenade that kind of fake Disneyland street right. they built next to the link. And so Jimmy Kimmel designed this beautiful club. They went to his house. It's the downstairs is his you know, bar, and it's just a beautiful shape room, and it's a really fun, fun place. All right, well then. But, I, but tonight will be my last night, because. Uh, what do you plan, to, who, how do you, we'd like to know the details of in advance of how you plan to blow up your career. Like, who are you going to outrage? Well, probably every executive that'll be there. So um, this is like, this is like eating dynamite and then sitting on a candle. <laughs> That's what I'm going I say you gun for Steve Wynn. I, I've heard a couple of things about him, so I think that that will really be a hit. That that's probably a good idea. I'll turn the calendar. You better ask him for money, Vicky. One of the two. Right. I'm asking everybody for Adele tickets. That's all. I'm, that's the only reason. <laughs> oh, I think that's a reasonable ask. Exactly. I mean, it's exactly. Christmas. And Garth Brooks is starting here, <gasps> Shanika, soon. So I'm gonna. Oh, it's another Vicky thing we're not. I know. After I ruin our lives tonight, so that won't happen. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the diaries for a moment. I, I've listened to the first one and let's talk about our friend Porky. Now, it, I'm a, I just feel like it's possible that maybe Vicky wrote these diaries is like, are you the do you give yourself any kind of writing credits or? No, no, we both like manipulated a lot of it. And we both brought to Porky's experience, experience from our junior high times too. both Shanika and I. There's a lot of the things that Porky goes through. Um, like I never went to charm school classes. I ditched them. So I, um, my mother took me for 12 weeks and, and I, I really still feel very guilty about making my mother spend all that money and that I'm charmless mm. and, and, and all that gas money too. So, and, and then Shanika also contributed and she'll tell you some of her young experiences to Porky. So we both contributed to Porky's character, you know, with our own truth. So, you know, that's what you do, right? How much of this is improvised? It feels so conversational, like you're, you're, you're improvising a little. Is there, is there, do you go off script with these at all? Well, when we talk together between the time we read the diary, it's all improvised. It definitely right. feels conversational. And yeah. I love that. Yeah. And do you plan, We're just talking. Do you plan in advance, like, what stories that you would kind of, like, tangent off onto? Because, like, it seems like you're just ready to go with when it remind, when the diary reminds you or that you pose questions to each other. When was your first kiss or did you ever skip school? Yes. Shanika is the, is the leader of the pack on that because I'm so lazy. There is no way I would bother <laughs> making a note. But Shanika makes a little yellow note. Oh, first kiss like that. Or, uh, you know, she'll make a note what about you know my mother's story here and then yes and then and then sometimes we blow by them and sometimes we read them in by mistake and think that they're part of the diary uh-huh. <laughs> and then we try to try to you know row our way out of that well you're both but, single um, performers so uh, uh, is it hard to kind of give up your power and make it a couple while you're performing or i i don't know that i'd be able to do that as well as they do you know you're doing you, it with me you know, i know but I, right now. you do it all the on you the, you guys do no but 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 not exactly but, when was your first kiss i Fritz? think you know what's I, that when was your first i was i come from the school i of, kissed a uh, window in fourth grade <laughs> So, no, no. I mean, but I, I come from the school of improv and Vicky and I are a lot of give and take. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we have highlighted points we want to hit, but sometimes we never know what 
really is yeah, going to come out Yeah, but that's great because it doesn't seem so stiff and rehearsed. My, that's the beauty. Yeah. Well, when Sean starts singing, that's my favorite because I laugh out loud. <laughs> I'm sorry, everybody, for that. <laughs> yeah, and, and each diary, we're now, um, season three is coming out soon. <gasps> so each diary is different. And so the stories all kind of have different genres to it. And it's exciting because... You know, it's we can get into different stories, but also get into different, different stories with Vicky and I, and especially growing up and our relationship and our friendship together and how it's expanded over the years. I mean, we have a very special relationship. Vicky and I are really kind of the modern day ab fab, if you will. And that's I love that what's, show I think so exciting about this podcast is. We're, you know, we're opposites, but as they say, opposites attract. Well, and I tell never us, forget the first time I saw Vicky and I was like, oh, my God, how do I become like that? So when, tell us about your memory of meeting, you know, meeting Vicky, your first impressions of one another. Well, we were at the the comedy store performing in a in the belly room for a friend's show and a mutual comedian friend that we both knew had invited us to go to Mel's diner after the show. And I remember just seeing Vicky going, oh my gosh, she is so good. She, where, where did this, where did she come from? That's what I was she's so happy to character. see Shanika because she was so funny. She just killed it. And I'm like, oh, yay, yay. I was just so happy to meet her. And then we went to dinner and this girl never showed up. And then I said to Shanika, I'm like, you want to split dinner because it's late and look at, she's like tiny. And she goes, she jumps across the table and grabs me and says, no. And I'm like, I like her. I like her. Yeah. I want I wanted a full plate. So yeah. Vicky and I <laughs> we didn't need any of it. I could have had the rest. I wasted eight dollars. From then Not on, I true. never ordered a meal when I was with her. I still don't it still pisses her off. <laughs> we gotta let Vicky go because how many shows are you doing tonight, Vic? She's doing the I Christmas have one, show. I have, this, I have the Caesar's executive Christmas party. One show that. that'll feel like five hundred. And then <laughs> And then, then they'll cancel my Jimmy Kimmel show that would have been 7.30. But tell me about, exactly. like, let's hear a little bit of dirt on Caesar's executives. Like, what? who's coming? Who's putting on his suit right now? Or who's putting on her heels? Who's getting ready? Who's going to be there? And what, are they already drunk when they arrive? Or, like, are they trying to network? Or what's happening with these people? Honestly, I actually did this three years ago. That's why I know what I'm up against mm -hmm. here. And um, uh, the... The president, I he I, I think he's a new president. The old president didn't even wear like a bow. He Ooh. had no Christmas spirit. The new president, he he's been doing some amazing things. He got Adele. He got um, he got he signed to deal with the NFL. He's from Harvard. Uh, Jason, uh, I'm just gonna call him Jason because sure. I feel like that'd be good. <laughs> Why don't you add a Goldberg yeah. to the end of that? I'm sure. Uh, that could be true as well. <laughs> it's not. It's more of a like a old waspy name, but who knows? Oh no! <laughs> uh, I know, Shanik. I hate to disappoint you. Scratch all the Hanukkah jokes, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh. it'll be it'll be great. But I this was great. The Media Path is is a, a huge, wonderful show, and thank you for having us on it. After I begged so long, and I've been a big fan. So thank you both. Well, we I love you. you. I think we you're one of the funniest people working, and we, it was so much fun to work with you. We are such big fans. We love your podcast, and we want you to come in studio in person 
So yes, we'd love that. Yeah. So don't worry, you'll be back soon. And just Thank you. and just remember, we love our return guests. And Sean is our only our second return guest, the first being Henry Winkler. So you so you're in rare company. Ooh, wow, Seanica, um, you yeah. deserve it. Thank and she's just laying. So All right, go, love you guys. Have go fun, kill it, Vicky. Vicky. Thank love you so you. much. Bye, Vicky. Get him tonight. Slay, Thank baby. You. So, Sean, you've had a very interesting career. You started doing improv at USC, and then I you did. went to the Groundlings, the hallowed Groundlings. Mm-hmm. And uh, talk about your Groundlings experience. I mean, that was the birthing place for so many major talents. Two-thirds of the funny comedy stars and movies now all started there. Yeah, uh, the Groundlings was was super exciting. I mean, I was only uh, maybe 18, 19 when I joined the Groundlings and I really didn't really know what I what I was up against. And I thought I had thick skin, but I think the Groundlings, you know, it, it was it was quite the experience as far as Really, it is the crux of comedy. When you look at something like Saturday Night Live and you see all the greats on there, I would say like 85% came from the Groundlings. So when I was in Groundlings class, I was going to USC at the time and taking classes at night. And I just walked in there ready to go. And I was I was in a class with great people like Will Ferrell was Good in my Lord. class. He was a Good he Lord. was a bank teller. No he pressure was a there. Bank teller he was an at intern at Channel Four where I worked. He was an intern for the sports guy at Channel Four. Really? And yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. And his yeah, father no, was a bass player for the Righteous Brothers. Did you know that? Wow. I didn't know yeah, that. I'm sorry. I, mean, I, I vaguely I think I'd heard something like that but anyway. the fact that you know i mean he was just a force to reckon with he was so funny right out of the gate yeah and, you know i had teachers like mindy sterling and Ooh. i would watch, I'd go to watch the groundlings themselves the troop at the time was like kathy griffin lisa kudrow oh my goodness like they were they were so chris Kattan, jennifer coolidge and you saw these people and they weren't a household name yet, but you were just like in Patrick Bristow. You were just like, oh, my God, these people are so good. And you knew that they'd all be that they would all go to the next level. So it was it felt very intimidating for someone Absolutely. who was just in college at the time. And Jennifer Coolidge watched, is having a moment right now. Holy cow. Oh, oh yeah. She's had her moments, though. Mm-hmm. She's been great for so long. It's yeah. just about time that she's at the level that she is, but just watching all these people perform. Then someone like Will Ferrell, who was just a student at the time, mm-hmm. who never had one bad, unfunny improv moment. Now, one <laughs> unfunny wow. sketch, even when we were in a class and they'd go, okay, you've got, you've got five minutes, write a one minute monologue. You're at the door. You're a stranger at someone's door, go. And we'd have five minutes to write something. And, you know, people would just, you know, you bomb and except Will Ferrell, he would go right up there and out of the gate. He was hilarious. So, you know, at the time when I went, I learned a lot. But I again, I don't think I had the thick skin. You know, I, I did the program for about like mm, two and a half years. Did you work your then, way up from the first, second, third level, go up the way they start people? Yeah, I did not go all the way to advanced. I, I ended at intermediate. I took intermediate like three times and then, you know, just not getting past. I, I just couldn't, I, I 
didn't do it anymore and just continued through college. And then I joined a sketch improv troupe at USC. And then when I graduated USC, I just thought, well, I'm going to go try another sketch comedy theater because really my goal was to do something like SNL. Mm. And so I went to Acme Comedy Theater and that doesn't involve improv, but it did involve sketch comedy. And that's I really felt like I grew there. And thank God for Gremlins because, it, you know, I, I think every comedian and I tell this to anytime anyone has me speak at a comedy class or whatnot, I always say it's really important to take improv classes because if it wasn't for those groundling classes and being well-trained in improv, I don't think I could be as uh, as fast on my feet as I am today. And that's really one of my strongest suits is opening a show at the comedy store. And they put me in that opening spot just because they know I can work with an audience fast oh, on my feet. Your crowd work is fire. And everybody oh, knows thanks. that about you. And if you go see Sean, as you should... Don't be scared because she's going to jump off the stage and hover over your table <laughs> with the mic stand as if it's a weapon. And she, this is just her act. Don't be alarmed. But, Sean, did I ever tell you that I took Groundlings one for one class and my teacher was Kathy Griffin? Really? Yeah. And how was she? Because I never had her as a teacher. She's only... great. She's great yeah. as a teacher. But at the time I was running a company and I know that's no excuse, but she told you that if you missed more than one class that you weren't going to get past the next level. And I had an opportunity to go to Mexico and interview Martin Short for a very horrible movie called Pure Luck or something like that, where his face swells up because of a bee sting. But it's Martin Short. <laughs> I saw that. I love that. Yeah. And so I took the trip to Acapulco and then I never went back for the final week because I knew I had already missed two classes. And then like about three years later, I saw Kathy Griffin at the um, at the Laugh Factory. Laugh and Factory. I, I said, you know, I was in your class and she's like, why didn't you come back? You were going to graduate. And I'm like, you say that to everybody who flakes out. You know, that's easy to say three years hence. Um, but anyway, she was a great teacher. And you're right. The rules of improv. So I and I think all humans could do better at life with the rules of improv. So impart those for us. Well, the number one rule of improv, well, there's two. There's two major rules of improv. It's never say no. When someone offers up information, you never say no. You never say, that didn't happen. And you never say, why did you say that? It's always yes and. That's the other rule of improv. You say yes to whatever they're saying, and you add on, you never negate the information they are putting forward. And that's how the scene moves forward. And you commit to it. You commit. And if you can commit and you can move forward with the information, you're going to get a funny scene out of that. Mm -hmm. So it, it keeps it keeps momentum. So if your friend says, hey, let's jump off the roof, you say yes. And we could also go back down the stairs and live exactly. and live. You know, yeah. Speaking of the belly room, you did you had such a spectacular idea for a show, which is performing social media posts, which has oh, to be yeah. in this day and age. Do you still do that? I do. You know, Fritz, that is my baby. I don't have any kids, but I birthed this show, <laughs> mm -hmm. Social Media Meltdowns. And I started at the world famous comedy store. We're coming on the four year anniversary when I started that show. And do you get and ideas from real people or are they your posts? Or oh, no, they are other people's posts. They are never my own posts. They're really never anybody's posts that that are performing them. Oh. They're other people's real posts 
or comments or reviews or Craigslist ads. <laughs> it's anything and anything you've ever seen on social media. So, My gosh, we it's 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 crazy what people so say. So where from where are you mining the best material? Because I'm gonna guess next door. Fritz, do you have a guess? Next door is a bevy oh, of brilliant material because mm-hmm. if that's probably the craziest app there is. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of people pull from Reddit because mm-hmm. you can go down a Reddit rabbit hole. Mm. <laughs> uh, again, Twitter, always like fast and furious tweets. Things are said about everybody, and especially now where Twitter is just a free for all mm-hmm. because oh someone else took over right uh and it's <laughs> it's it's just it's been such an interesting show and it's gotten a lot of heat and you It'd know be a great I'm television ready. show how, it how, is. how do you and pick the material when do you pick it and do you rehearse it and how how does the show organized the show is organized i choose about 10 to 12 comedians and I always tell Wheezy, and for you too, Fritz, you would be great on the show. I I pick about 10 to 11 comedians. Everyone gets about up to four minutes each, and they can do less time. And they have to find their own material that they want to perform. And, and really, honestly, no one ever, it's very rare that someone tells me beforehand what they're doing. I don't clear it. I don't ask them what they're doing. And they can bring the post itself. Now we're at, we went from the comedy store to the improv and only because of the improv, I loved it at the comedy store, but the improv had a more advanced uh, technical system with screens mm. and uh, with a tech person because the comedy store is stuck in 1812. Sure. So <laughs> it, it, it really has, it's gone to this new level where you actually, you know, people put up on, a video screen behind them, the actual tweet or the actual post or a video of from TikTok or something. And there are many ways, you know, people are, the comedians are very creative. They don't have to just read it. They could sing it. They Mm. could do a puppet show with it. They could do a reenactment of it, or they can just make commentary about it. And I give everybody this, you know, creative, you know, uh, freedom to do whatever they want to do. Do they do just one individual tweet or do they do a stream of tweets at like a, a they thread? They do a stream. Like, for instance, the week I had a show, because I do this once a month, it was the week the queen passed away. Oh, my. So whatever I was doing at the time that I was going to perform, because I usually open the show performing myself, something that I found. And I decided, well, you know what's really relevant is that the the queen just passed away and it was a big deal around the world. So what I did is I came out as the queen. Of course. <laughs> and I and I read tweets about the queen. <laughs> and what people said was super nuts from little Nas X <laughs> talking about a big fat juicy ass. I don't know how he related that to the queen. <laughs> But he did. And reading it as the queen and her surprise, it it just was it was it was very fun. So, you know, uh, like I said, there's a creative freedom and how anybody and and it's so funny to see sometimes comedians get very nervous performing for this because it's outside the box. It's not just anything but their own words. Mm Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been a lot of fun. Cool and have you got, got a has anybody ever asked you to do a pilot for it? To, to, it sounds like a Comedy Central nat- uh, natural. Um, yeah, there's stuff in the works right now. Oh, so Ooh. I don't want to jinx it, but 
there are people stepping forward and 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 I see a lot of people actually kind of, you know, catching on to this idea and bigger people that are powerful and I see it on different shows Uh-oh. and I just, you know, I'm I've been doing this for a while. So and and I see it on social media too. If you could see people doing this on TikTok. I mean, I do it on my social media. Well, I'll just find a short post on next door on my local next door and I'll just be the character that I think wrote it and I'll dress up as the character and I'll read those three sentences, you know, like who's feeding the squirrel, you know, or there's another mountain lion, hide your pets, whatever the case may be. Um, and I look for those and they're just, they're just so fun to do, you know, and it kind of just kind of both the best of both worlds involving stand up. And my background of sketch comedy. So you can go, if you go to Instagram at social media meltdowns, you're going to find some highlights from what Sean is discussing right now. So you can go and enjoy Yeah, and we also did, during the pandemic, we did a whole YouTube show where I actually had great comedians like Kathleen Madigan and Steve Byrne and and people and Maz Durbani. They just, they did it from their home. And some people, like my friend Samba Shoot, incredible he put a whole production together from his own home i mean like i don't know when everyone became like a special effects editor but (laughs) apparently that happened during the pandemic i'm still trying to just get on zoom yeah some people were just learning how to bake and then other people were sort of creating a show Doing color correction. Yeah. Right. And animation. Right. Before it gets too late, yeah. uh, Weezy, I, I want to suck the life out of the room right now and take any hint of a holiday atmosphere out of this. Thank and you. I want to ask you a question that I find very important, particularly in our Me Too world that we're at. How do you find uh, the stand-up world, you know, and Louis C.K. is the worst example of how that went bad. But, I, I mean, do, do you I can find, think of worse. And, uh, oh, Okay. Uh, and oh, wait, we, we, wait, you can't just leave that hanging. We want names. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so many. I mean, you not, not even down. fellow performers, but 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 the the uh, uh, the male dominated management booking slash production wing, the, the patriarchy that is is or was stand up comedy. How do you find all that now and getting work and maintaining? Your- well, yeah. People that say, oh, there's so many women in comedy and the doors have really opened for women. Sure. Great. There is still misogyny. Mm-hmm. It's still a male dominated uh, occupation mm-hmm. and it, it's a male dominated world. And you just, you know, not only do you have to have, like I'll say, thick skin, which I didn't have at the groundlings, but boy, do I have it now. Mm-hmm. And you just you kind of have to have a high tolerance, I think for this business and there still is pay inequity monique just went through that thing where she sued netflix because there was such a disparity between dave Chappelle's salary and hers i said really you're gonna you're gonna use that as your example of pay disparity the guy has a bazillion people watching every special but there is pay disparity for instance a female headliner in yuck yucks in cincinnati is not going to get paid as much as a male headliner and that still goes on right um, I I hope not. You know, I, I I'm sure there are people there are all types that I think get paid more. And I also think it's, you know, your your celebrity status. I think that plays a part sometimes. Maybe if he's a male, I'm not quite sure. I just think it's just how well you're known. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
I think as far as like club owners, you know, usually are male dominated people. But as you see on the up and up, like the comedy store has a has a female booker, Emily LaFord, and, and she's she's excellent and and she gets it. And she gives the equal opportunity that really should have been in place years ago. Good. But yeah, there's still, you know, there's there's still people showing their dicks. And and I don't mean literally like Louis C.K., but they're they're still, you know, really showing that like, hey, I'm the guy, I'm the man, I'm here. And, you know, I, again, I, I have a uh, I've been in this business for like years and. I think it's just it's something that you just got to you just got to keep pushing through and 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 breaking boundaries. What about the dynamic between you and the audience? <clears throat> this is an old school question, but I, I remember when I first started stand up, a woman could be hysterical. Elaine Boozler, any of the original ladies that started out where you work in the belly room at the comedy store before Mitzi would even put those guys in the, the original room or the main room. Um the dynamic between a female performer and the audience is interesting. Sometimes, even if a, a female is really funny, she has to work extra hard, particularly in the first five minutes of her act, to prove to the audience that she's funny, even more than a male who might have less talent and a less solid act. I, j I don't know if it's that way anymore. You tell me if it is, but I remember when I started, it was hard. And that, that sharpened women's skills, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I do believe in that, Fritz. I, I I feel that, but I think it's like at this point, I have zero fucks to give. Mm. You've been doing it 20-something <laughs> years. You know, Good. it's just like you come out and you're like, well, you're either going to like me, and, and I hope you do. I'm a nice person. I mean, my comedy is... It's I'm in your face, that's for sure, but it's all with love and good fun, mm -hmm. and I'm coming out there to take people who just paid what? $30 to park on sunset then they paid $40 <laughs> to walk in. Then they paid $18 or $20 a drink. Well, of course you're going to sit there a little salty or whatnot, but I'm here to come in, grease you up and make you feel like you're at home. Now, whatever follows me and what energy follows me, I can't help you with that. I'm here to just kind of bring up the room, bring everyone together. And that's like, like I said, where improv comes in place mm -hmm. And, you know, me being person who's traveled around the world, which I've been fortunate enough to see many different cultures and know people, I think that's very useful uh, when, when it comes to opening a room or just performing in general. And you got to know your audience. You know, you can get a feel from an audience in the first 10 seconds. And, you, you know, especially if, like for Vicky tonight, who's been hired for a very specific gig. And you better know what you're walking into Ugh. and you better know how to cater to those people. Mm -hmm. Well, Sean, before we go, I gave you some homework and I thought... You did. Yeah, and I've, I told Shawnee that she had to watch Harry and Meghan. And um, she, you know, she didn't resist. She didn't put up too much resistance. She kind of like just kind of sort of relaxed and enjoyed it, if you will. And which because she's a champ. So because I we love talking Bachelor, but nothing's in season right now. So what reality shows are you watching? What are your opinions of those people? And then we're going to talk Harry and Megan. So uh, I am all housewives. Mm -hmm. I this is this is my lifeline because it's it's so empty. It and is. that's sometimes <laughs> what I need at the end of my day when I'm 
you know, I produce on a game show and I am writing, I'm running a team of writers and I'm running, I'm writing jokes and I'm performing at nights and I'm traveling. And sometimes my brain just doesn't need to think. And what is more vapid and, <laughs> and, 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 and thoughtless than a bunch of rich housewives in different cities. And it is delightful. And I get such pleasure of all the, all like just the, the cat bites. And I don't know why, because I'm not that person in general. I don't like conflict, right. but I love the conflict. Wait, Sean, can, all I, these can I, I just need to confess something to you. So Garcelle used to live across the street and so yes. i i know her and so when my neighbor yes. jonathan said oh did you know that garcelle is on the housewives i thought okay well let me let me watch i want to make sure oliver's okay and everything you know because he was just growing up when he lived here and you uh -huh. know and so i i couldn't make it through more than two shows because once they were upset that somebody had done glam before they showed up to an event mm -hmm. Once that was the whole plot, I, I, I'm just like, I'm out. I'm sorry, Garcelle. Uh, I can't do you this. You mean Dorit? <laughs> I guess. I mean, but like, so. I do know you, names. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> but like, do you think they're pretending to be upset that someone showed up late for someone's opening of a spa? Or is that just always the plot? Or are they really? It, uh, tell me what is happening. Two things. Yeah. I do believe these women are that catty okay. because women can be catty. But two, producers play a huge part in reality TV. If you've ever seen the show Unreal, which if you haven't, Louise, mm -hmm. I cannot believe if you haven't, because I think a producer left The Bachelor and created this show. Okay. And it is like and it's make believe it is a. It's a written TV show Got it. that was on, I think, like Lifetime. Now it's on Hulu, but it is a dark, dark series about what happens on a reality show like The Bachelor. Right. And it's very eye opening. And if you talk to people that have actually worked on a show like The Bachelor have you? or Love Island. Have you? Um which I have. I want the skinny. They say that is exactly what producers do. So they take and away. They, so here's like, let, correct me if I'm wrong. I think like, because to me, it's like a social experiment. If you take away your phone and you take away your link to the outside world and then you create scarcity. So there's all these women and there's only one man. So all of a sudden everyone's in love with him because they can't, they don't have their phone to be in love with anyone else. And it's just human nature. They can't swipe right. <laughs> they can't. They cannot. It's just going to be this guy. It's Gary, you know, like, oh, Gary, look. And that, and and so all of a sudden it's competition, it's human nature, it's scarcity. And then the producers sit with you and say like, oh, I saw the way he looked at you. And like, do they create this kind of yes. heightened? Okay, go ahead. Yes, they heighten it. And, and another way they heighten it is with alcohol. Ooh. They get them drunk. They There's booze. You know, you rarely see anybody eating. You don't really see a lot of food around because they probably don't want people. People don't want to eat on camera. And even when you watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette or whatever, you rarely see them, even though they're sitting at a table. Right. And they're having that romantic one on one dinner. You don't really see them eating. It's like no. it's, you almost think the food is plastic. And but they do have the overflowing alcohol. 
at all times. And that's how when you see the very first night when the bachelors or the bachelorettes are presented, there's always somebody like who's just like three sheets to the wind. Sure. Super messy. And and that also happens with the Real Housewives. There's a lot of, you know, Vouve Clicquot. There's a lot of champagne flowing, lots of liquor. And that's how you get the honesty. Look at someone like, you know, Erica Girardi or Erica Jane, who's been in the news because of Tom Girardi, her husband, ex-husband, whatever he is, this massive attorney that took all this money and embezzled it from, from you know, air, airplane crash victims and from burn victims. And they've low, I mean, they float, she's now loaded up on pills this season Ooh. and and booze. And it's it's fantastic the shit. So that comes they get out of her, her mouth. so let me get this straight. They get her loaded on pills and booze, and then they say she loaded herself and on then pills. They say she got depressed. Can you believe yes. that Kim yes. said that to you? How dare she? And they get you, you know, kind of yes. engaged. Yes, and then they just... approach her and they say, Oh. You you drank so much, we're concerned. Like Garcelle came in with her, and I think she's an alcoholic. Well, you know, she's obviously going through something that's really bad. And I'm not saying that she participated in it or not. I do have my viewpoints about something like that. And you do become very opinionated about these people you don't even know. Sure. Like, I feel like I could write like college dissertations <laughs> on this, which is, is, I mean, it's almost embarrassing how much I know about this, but again, it's just a thoughtless TV and, and it, it just makes me feel great about myself. So did you, you know, watch- not like, I can't believe I don't have this much money or I can't believe I don't have a closet full of all Chanel. You know, I mean, I think what the purpose of the show is to say to folks like this much money does not make you happy. And that it doesn't. That is the closing statement. So let me ask this question about The Bachelor in Paradise, because I am obsessed with The Bachelor, as Fritz knows. Do you think that they manufacture the personalities? Because did you notice how Shanae was only like mildly irritating on The Bachelor in Paradise, where she was like a full blown psychopath on The Bachelor? Discuss. Yes. Yes. They'll, they will turn to Shanae and say, listen, if you play this, you play your cards right, you play the villain, you're going to have a ton of followers. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a lot of social media about you. Yes, it's okay. popularity. And, and, and you know if you're the villain, you are going to be brought back on something like Bachelor in Paradise. Okay. You are going to be brought back. You're going to be you're going to be the one remembered. Right. And so, yeah, it it, it behooves them to act out and be that person. Got it. All right. Let's go. Let's do Harry and Megan and then we'll call, then we'll call it a wrap. How does that sound? That sounds great. All right. So Harry and Megan, because Fritz and I discussed it. Was it last week or the week before? I forget. I, I, I discussed the first half. Right. So we all have something to discuss. We've all watched all six episodes. You go first. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, you know, at first it's surprising to me that I wasn't interested in actually watching this mm-hmm. until you said, hey, Sean, have you seen this? Yeah. And I don't know why I put it aside, maybe because I hadn't caught up on all my housewives. Right. You know, I was a little <laughs> bit behind. Right. And one thing at a time for me. Yeah. And I loved I loved the crown. And mm-hmm. I, I never knew how crazy it was, you know, with the Commonwealth. I had no idea that the, quote, institution 
was that insane. And there were things that I learned about in history and time and that I was like, I didn't even know about. So I've been caught up in the drama of the crown. Mm -hmm. And I know that like, not everything is true about the crown, but it's kind of close to Pretty home. Close. And you're like, okay, I'm getting a feel of this. I have your same opinion about that. Yeah. I, I watched the crown and I think it's one of the best shows on television. It's so beautifully it's, it's, shot. Every episode incredible. is like a movie. But I, but my takeaway um, emotion about it is everybody on those shows seems so lonely. Mm. Nobody's an individual. You can't have your own life. You can't develop your own personality and all that. And so I, I carry that forward to Harry and Meghan, and I'm so in their camp. I think what they did took such bravery. And I think the reason they did it was because subconsciously, Harry was living his mother's life. He saw the threat that the uh, tabloids had on his wife. He saw the repeat of his mother's story. And it started to get to the point where she got death threats. He said, I got to get out of here. This happened to my mom. I so respect them for what they did. I really do. Yeah, I, I do too. And it, it, it kind of surprised me. I mean, I never really had a, a deep opinion about them as a uh, husband and wife. I mean, Harry, I had an opinion about him when, you know, he dressed up as a Nazi and that's kind of was always. Ooh, I forgot about that. My memory of him. And so I was happy to watch this and come up with a different conclusion. Like, wow, this is a really this is a really thought out individual mm -hmm. that, you know, it. I, I, and that you could see him going down the same path of his mom. Mm -hmm. And you could see that he he went for someone who was very strong. And Megan is a very, she's a very strong personality. She's a fellow Leo. And she also has the same birthday, FYI, as Obama. Just wow. FYI. Wow, you so went there? You're I good. Did. You're <sighs> thorough. I did. So I know that about her. She probably was not going to, you know, she, she kind of, you know, with coming from a divorced family and she always had this kind of strong boss personality and she wasn't going to take any shit. But with that being said, and you're marrying into this family, aren't you watching the crown at some point going, uh, I'm not sure. Like, look, look, look what I'm watching. Like you had to know that something wasn't going to be, it seems like every girl's dream, I'm going to be a princess mm -hmm. and I'm marrying into the royal family. But if you watch any of that crown series, which if you're doing kind of your research about this family, and even if it isn't true exactly to form, you see that it's this lonely life. Now that's not going to take her away from wanting to be with Harry and marry him. But I, I just found them to be both very, very well-spoken. Mm -hmm. And I believe what was happening to her was just not only like what happened to Diana, but another level of, I mean, the racism, racism was unbelievable. Was <clears throat> just shocking. Mm -hmm. So who would sit with that? And and what, and that if her husband was okay with them, okay with that, then that would have just, mm -hmm. that would have not been a match. Right. That, they wouldn't have made a good match if he didn't stick with her. And for him to take that leap of faith and just jump, they, I feel like they really didn't have a choice. And it's no. still ongoing this yeah. week yeah. after even this, this document, this doc, this documentary came out in this series just like two days ago, there was, um, 
what is his name? Clarkson. Uh, is it J Jason? Something Clarkson. Emily <laughs> Clarkson's father. And he's this well-known reporter and journalist and actor in, in, in the UK. And he had an excerpt in The Sun that was just scathing mm. about her. And it was just awful saying, oh, I wish... They, you know, I can't stand her. I, 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 I can't sleep at night thinking about how awful she is. Get a life. She, Get a life, sir. This, I mean, it's an old, an old white man being misogynistic. Yeah. Against the young woman. And they like, manufacture these things. I they, guess, I guess she represents a lot of their deep-seated fears about progress. But it seems like history will frequently meet with circumstances that shove it forward whether it wants to like whether everyone in that in that time frame wants to move forward or not we're shoved forward and you either can get on board and understand there's hey this there's a lot of people in the world why not open your heart and your mind and some people yeah. are just like stuck and that's terrifying i say them. screw yeah. the institution get into the and, and that's what they did yeah. and now they've got to figure out because they'll do it they'll do it know, they, they give their the time to non-profit cut off they have to be but i think i i feel like that that they're aligned in this together and that they had to make the only move they could to survive and who's to know really i mean it, it became a physical threat she mm -hmm. had children involved mm -hmm. and that was another another level again for her a fear a fear of someone attacking her attacking her children and a mother's got to do what a mother has got to do the mm -hmm. only thing i i would like to say that really bothered me about this the documentary series itself is that she calls him H. Right. I don't know why that bothered me but so he much. Called, but he like, calls her M. So I guess those are just their little nicknames. I never heard him say that. I heard him I say M. I heard him say M. You did. Yeah. It was just like H H. And I was like, it's Harry. Yeah. I just wanted her to you say know, Harry. Harry's already a nickname for Henry. His actual given name is Henry, which is more of a King type name or royalty yeah like you know uh let's let's wrap things up i know everyone is busy i'm going to ask fritz um we're, we've decided uh shawnee that before we have sponsors where our sponsors are going to be the charities that we pick out so who are we helping help folks this week fritz well as you know i'm passionate and do work for about the uh organization called the children's burn foundation a person's life can instantly change with a burn injury. This really sprang to people's attention recently with Jay Leno. He got burned in a gasoline fire at his classic car garage. He was treated at Grossman Burn Center in Sherman Oaks, California, which was one of the original supporters of the Children's Burn Foundation. Fortunately, Jay is having a fast and miraculous recovery. But for children, recovery can be a prolonged, painful, and very expensive experience. Without access to comprehensive care, that child and their family will suffer the devastating physical, financial, and emotional harm. They have access to full help and resources through the Children's Burn Foundation. We also offer burn prevention and education for both kids and parents. These are kids from all over the world, including burn victims from the Ukraine. And this time of year, we ensure the children's burn survivors are able to escape the stress of their surgeries and their treatments and find happiness and normalcy. Every year, 500 child burn survivors and their families gather for festivities and receive food and drinks and toys from generous donors. If you would like to donate, please go to their website at childburn.org. That's childburn.org. You can learn all about their heroic work 
and hopefully hit the donate button now. Thank you and happy holidays from the Children's Burn Foundation. Thank, Thank you so much, Fritzy. And where can we find you online, Sean? Oh, um, God, I'm, I'm following. Oh, uh, at Sean Polofsky on Instagram right. or TikTok, uh, Facebook. You can check out my website, hahachick, H-A-H-A-C-H-I-C-K.com. And you can also just Google Sean Polofsky. There is no other. There, she's the only one. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to continue this conversation with you on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at MediaPathPod, and on Facebook, where our show page is MediaPathPodcast, and our Facebook group is MediaPath with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full video podcast episodes loaded with bonus visual content, so you can see Sean's pretty face and her and her Christmas garb on our YouTube channel, MediaPathPodcast. You can write to us at MediaPathPodcast at gmail.com, and if you enjoy this show, please give us a nice rating on Apple Podcasts and talk about us kindly on social media. You can sign up for our fun and dishy newsletter where we're going to be giving away all kinds of fun stuff. Just sign up at mediapathpodcast.com. We want to thank our wonderful guest, Sean Pulaski, and her friend Vicki Barblack. Please check out Trailer Park Diaries. Our team includes Dina Friedman, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, our hero, Garrett Arch, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Garrett Maddox. Arch. Garrett Arch, everybody. I'm Louise Planker here with Fritz Coleman. Be Save well and wise, and we will see you along the media path. <laughs>